Hello, this is Steve Robinson, and welcome to another in a series of podcasts from Sadie Records. We do a podcast every time Sadie has a new release, and they certainly have a new release today, and it's a fantastic album, if I can editorialize. It's called Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano, and it features three amazing musicians and a narrator, and we're talking about Damare McGill Flute, his brother Anthony McGill Clarinet, and uh, Michael McHale Piano, and we'll talk a little bit about the composition that features a narrator, and that's Mahershala Ali. I think this album has just about everything one could ask. The music and the compositions are all wonderful. They sparkle, they're bright, they're profound, they're deep. It has a composition with poetry in it of Langston Hughes. The performances are terrific. And it's also the first time that these two remarkable brothers have come together on an album. I've run out of words to talk about how wonderful this particular album is. Fortunately, we have a member of the trio with us to help me out, and that's Anthony McGill clarinet. Anthony, welcome. Thank you. Uh, This is the first time you've recorded uh, with your brother. What was that like? Yeah, it was really great to work on this project, especially because we've been playing together since we were kids. But to come into the studio as adults and after our careers have gone in this great direction and we've played in different orchestras all these years, to come together and record for this repertoire and this instrumentation is just really amazing. And it's always great to be able to spend some musical time with my brother. Jim Ginsburg, our president of SAD, is here. Question, Jim? Yes. Well, speaking of this instrumentation, can you talk a little bit about how this trio, this collection of you, your brother, and Michael McHale was formed? Yeah. Well, somehow over the years, we'd encountered the same manager. And so she basically hooked us up. (laughs) So we did our first performance in, I think it was Bowling Green, Ohio, and we had a little residency there. So we combined the recital program to just have the three of us together doing some sonatas and doing some trio works and doing master classes there over the span of two days. But we'd never met Michael before, and he lives in London, so he flew over. We got together in one day and put this whole program together, and it was such a great experience that we all knew that we should play more together. I'm really glad that it developed into this wonderful, wonderful collaboration. Anthony, you went to Curtis, your brother went to Curtis, and also Juilliard. You went on to become principal at the Metropolitan Opera and now the New York Philharmonic, your brother and other orchestras. You're not too busy at schools. You're only on the faculties of Curtis, Juilliard, Peabody, Manhattan, and Bard. But I wanted to rewind a little bit and take you back to Chicago. You are from Chicago, and as I understand it, You walked into the Merritt School of Music one day, I don't know how old you were, maybe you can tell us, and asked for some lessons. Is that pretty much what happened? Well, it might have not happened exactly like that. You know, my brother's an older brother and been playing for quite a few years. My parents were very curious about making sure that we had the right teachers and the right institutions supporting us. So at some point they discovered Merritt and... Eventually, yes, I did walk in through the doors and asked to take lessons there. But my brother, I think, studied there briefly before I went there. And then I just fell in love with the whole place. So it became my home away from home. We're talking about the Merritt School of Music. It's a community music school. It's really one of the most unusual in the country. So we're fortunate to have Merritt uh, here in Chicago and very fortunate that you walked through the door. If people wanted to learn more about your musical upbringing, is there anything they could perhaps read? Well, my dad actually wrote a book about how my dad and my mom raised us, 
boys growing up in Chicago. The book is called A Father's Triumphant Story, Raising Successful African-American Men in Contemporary Urban Times. And in the book, he discusses the kind of techniques, if you will, that my mom and he used to raise us growing up on the south side of Chicago to be successful and educated people. So it's a really great book. It kind of gives a little background insight into the goings on in in our house. And there are quite a few amusing anecdotes. It's actually a really fun read. I can recommend it having read it myself. And by the way, that's spelled, if you want to Google the book and get it, it's D-E-M-A-R-R-E McGill. Yes. Well, I've met your parents, and you have an extraordinary mom and dad, I can tell you that. Anthony, let's talk a bit about the actual album. It's called Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano. There's not a very large repertoire for this particular ensemble, this trio. Was it a challenge selecting the works for the album? How did you work that out? It was really interesting. Once we decided we wanted to do this and Jim encouraged us to get this program together, we had a really tough time. This combination has a few pieces that are written for it, but some of them are very good and others are not so good. And so we wanted to make an album that was really satisfying musically as well as spiritually in a way. And I think the pieces that we managed to find and discover for this album. They're serious, they're beautiful, they're virtuosic. They really demonstrate the facility of the instruments and of the players. Some of them were recommended by people. I think we did some digging online and just searching flute, clarinet, piano. I got a recommendation from someone for Valerie's piece, the portraits. They had performed it a few months before, and I ran into this person, and he told me, you know, you, you really need to look into this piece. And I did, and I loved it. Everyone else loved it. And there were a lot of emails back and forth, hand-wringing, like, you know, we need to figure this out. What are we going to do? What do you like? Do you like this piece? Do you like that piece? Up until the final moment, <laughs> the end of the recording session, we were still debating what we wanted, what we needed on the CD, and I think it came out quite well. Well, that's an understatement. The breadth of music is extraordinary. Composition by a young composer, Valerie Coleman. We'll run down the whole album a little later. An arrangement of vocalese by Rachmaninoff and this wonderful Irish traditional song, The Lark in the Clear Air. So it's a very diverse album. As I said at the outset, it's beautiful, it's brilliant, it sparkles, and it brings together two brothers who haven't recorded before. What should we start with, Jim? Why don't we start with the title work, which is Valerie Coleman's Portraits, her reflections on six Langston Hughes poems. Once performed, it calls for a narrator to read each poem or text before the corresponding piece is played. And for the album, we had the great good fortune of getting Mahershala Ali, the recent 2017 Oscar winner for Best Supporting Actor for Moonlight, to do the readings. Anthony, have you had a chance to listen to those? I sure have. What, what do you think about his readings and how they add to the listener experience on the album? I think the, the readings are really special. There aren't many recordings that I can think of where having the narrator really affects the story and the kind of overall balance of the entire recording so well. His voice, and I've seen a lot of his work and hit television shows and the movies that he's been in recently, and then to hear him talk and speak with such presence and meaning 
and then to listen to how his voice melts into the sound of the piece, the atmosphere of the piece is special. It just works really well. And it takes you to the place where you need to go to experience this music. You travel to these different places. His voice takes you there, basically. And then the music just is. I thought we might listen to one of the readings and its corresponding piece back to back. Anthony, do you have one that you particularly like for us to hear? Yeah, I think it would be great if we listened to the jazz band and a Parisian cabaret. Anything you want to say about the piece? I think it's unusual in that it's the one piece that features piccolo. Is that right? Yeah, it's so much fun and yet very, very difficult. It's very challenging rhythmically for everyone, but it really gives you a feel of the life, the vivaciousness of Parisian cabaret. You feel like you're in some club and all these things are happening, all the people are there and it's beautiful and it's smoky and it's full of color. So I think it paints a really beautiful, exciting picture. Just a word about Valerie Coleman, the composer, born in 1970, raised in Louisville, Kentucky. She began studying music at age 11. She wasn't too precocious though. By the age of 14, she had written three symphonies and won several major performance competitions. Today, she, of course, is the founder and flutist of the Grammy-nominated Amani Wins, and also a composer. We'll hear an excerpt from Portraits of Langston. The full title of the movement is Jazz Band in a Parisian Cabaret. We'll hear first the voice of the narrator, Mahershala Ali, and then we'll hear Damari McGill flute, Anthony McGill clarinet, and Michael McHale piano. Jazz Band in a Parisian cabaret. Play that thing, jazz band. Play it for the lords and the ladies, for the dukes and the counts, for the whores and the gigolos, for the American millionaires and the school teachers out for a spree. Play it, jazz band. You know that tune that laughs and cries at the same time. You know it. May I? May we? Mein Gott, parece una rumba. Play it, jazz band. You've got seven languages to speak and then some. Even if you do come from Georgia. Can I go home with you, sweetie? Thank you. 
We've just heard a movement from Portraits of Langston by Valerie Coleman, and that was jazz band in a Parisian cabaret, and the narrator was Mahershala Ali, and the performers were Damare McGill flute, his brother Anthony McGill clarinet, and Michael McHale piano. And it's from an album entitled Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano, and our guest is one of the members of the trio, Anthony McGill. Anthony, it's such a beautiful piece. You said at the outset, uh, before we heard the piece, how the narration blends so beautifully into the piece, and it really does. It almost sounds like it was just made to happen. Yeah, it really adds a lot to the story that's already in the sound of the music. That just gives it an extra dimension, an extra color, an extra layer. We're going to hear another selection from the album, this by the composer Paul Schoenfield, who was born in 1947. It's his sonatina for flute, clarinet and piano from 1994. It's in three movements. We're going to hear the middle movement called Hunter Rag. Can you talk about that piece and what it's like? It's very different. You would think of the ragtime feel of accessibility, but then it's challenging and it's displacements of rhythms and it's very funky harmonies and it harmonically is quite challenging as well. And yet somehow he fits this cool feel to the music and so it's rhythmic how should I say very unique sounding (laughs) and fun and in fact all three movements of the piece are named for dance forms and yet at the same time they totally upset one's preconceived notions of these dance forms and really plays with them in surprising ways yeah the pieces are kind of like deconstructed versions of the dances if you will That makes it both challenging, interesting, and beautiful. I would emphasize the beautiful. In the notes by Eleanor Olin, she quotes Schoenfield. He's talking about his music, not necessarily about this piece. He said, his is not the kind of music to relax to, this is the composer talking, but the kind that makes people sweat, not only performer, but audience, unquote. I'm not sure there's too much to worry about in this piece. I just find it quite extraordinary and beautiful. It's a three-movement work composed in 1994, and let's hear the second movement of this three-movement piece.
we've just heard a movement from a piece called Sonatina by Paul Schoenfield. It's the second movement called Hunter Rag, and it's from an album on CD called Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano, featuring the McGill-McHale Trio. And this CD record is brand new, and we're doing a podcast about it. We always do a podcast when we have a new CD record, and we're very delighted to have with us clarinetist from the trio, Anthony McGill. I think this composition is really beautiful. I wasn't familiar with it, Anthony, and just sort of jumps right out of the CD. It's just beautiful. Thanks. I really loved working on it and getting to know it. I, I didn't know quite a few of these pieces before we started diving into them, working on them. It just turns out that we have discovered just it's beautiful pieces. Well, Schoenfeld was born in 1947, but our next composer, Chris Rogerson, kid on the block in the CD, he was born in 1988, making him... 29 or 30 or something like that. It's a piece called A Fish Will Rise. It's the opening cut on this new CD record. Anthony, how did you come across this piece? I was actually approached by a friend and colleague of mine who's the music director of the Amarillo Symphony, Giacomo Barros. We spoke on the phone about doing something together, a concerto with the orchestra, he had an idea for a program, and he suggested that I listen to this young composer that he's friends with, Chris. Chris's music, and I listened to it online, and I was like, this guy has so much talent, so I'd love to do that. So he had another piece that he did for clarinet and piano that he did for the orchestra. In any case, around the same time we were looking for more repertoire for the CD, I listened to a piece that Chris wrote and I talked to Chris about the fact that I would love it if there was something that he could write or transcribe for this combination of instruments. And he said, I have just the thing. So that's how A Fish Will Rise kind of came into our hands in this trio version. I believe that the original version was for piano trio, violin, cello, and piano. This movement, especially from that work, is just perfectly suited for wind instruments in the mellow, beautiful, sweet quality and the sound and how it just flows throughout the piece. And Chris, he's like just a young genius, you know, he just has a really nice way of capturing the soul of the instruments. And I think it comes through really beautifully in this piece. Because there's so many watery effects, I think those actually lend themselves better, frankly, to the flute and clarinet than they do to the violin cello in, in the original. Yeah, I agree. The title is A Fish Will Rise, and the title comes from the memoir A River Runs Through It by Norman McLean. I guess our listeners to this podcast will have to tell us whether it evokes what it's supposed to evoke. We're going to listen to an excerpt from this first cut on the CD Portraits, works for flute, clarinet, and piano. This is an excerpt from Chris Rogerson's composition, A Fish Will Rise, performed for us by the McGill-McHale Trio, and that's Anthony McGill, clarinet, Damari McGill, flute, and Michael McHale, piano. Thank you. 
just heard an excerpt from a composition by Chris Rogerson. It's called A Fish Will Rise and performed for us by members of the McGill-McHale Trio from a new CD record called Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano. And you're listening to a podcast from CD. We always do a podcast when a new CD record is produced, and that's what we have here. Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano. And we're fortunate to have with us a member of the trio, Anthony McGill. Anthony, we're going to move next to a piece by Guillaume Connaisson, Techno Parade. This is a composer who I wasn't familiar with. Tell us a bit about him and the piece. The piece is really exciting. There aren't that many quote-unquote classical pieces that have the word techno in the title. So that gives you some idea of how up-to-date, modern, and exciting this piece may be. There's so many rhythms I grew up listening to a lot of different types of music. One of the types of music is like a techno or kind of electric beat music, you could call it. The beats are fast and they're rhythmic and exciting, and it has this repetition that goes throughout it that gives it its drive. And the great thing about this piece is that, well, first of all, it's for flute, clarinet, and piano, which makes it quite unusual because it's not the traditional instruments used in techno music. But he has the rhythmic bass to it that almost sounds like there is an electro 
beat underneath the entire piece. So it has these moving, flying melodies throughout and all of these exciting lightning bolts throughout the piece. But with his use of a special technique with the piano, he gives it a feeling like you're listening to some sort of machine. Yeah, I guess the piano is a machine, I suppose, but it's a really cool effect, and I think listeners will really enjoy it. The tempo of the piece is lightning fast, and the piano, while it always has that beat to it, there's even a moment where, I guess what is papers are put on top of the strings to make it even more techno-like. Yeah, exactly. It's like an addition to the piano inside. Michael had to use a brush to scrape along the um, the strings. It, it's not as harmful to the pianos as it sounds. And he had a paper on top of it, so with the pedal down as well. So all of these things going on at once make for a very unique instrument. So this trio becomes a quartet because this is not your normal piano. There's piano parts, but then there's this awesome rhythmic techno instrument that he creates in the piece and so it has a really cool fun exciting feel this is a composition by guillaume Canasson, techno parade and is performed for us by the mcgill mikhail trio from their album portraits works for flute clarinet and piano
That was Techno Parade, a composition by Guillaume Connaisson, and it appears on this album, Portraits, Works for Flute, Clarinet, and Piano. And this is the McGill-McHale Trio, Demare McGill-Flute, his brother Anthony McGill-Clarinet, Michael McHale-Piano, and we're delighted to have Anthony with us. Anthony, according to the usual piece, I hope our podcast listeners enjoyed it as much as we did. We have time for one more piece. There were three arrangements on this album. And this last one, this is the last selection of the album. It's an Irish traditional tune arranged by your pianist, Michael McHale, called The Lark in the Clear Air. Beautiful composition. As long as you're mentioning the three arrangements, uh, Anthony, maybe you could just talk a little bit about all three. First on the album comes, again, Michael McHale's arrangement of Sergei Rachmaninoff's famous vocalese. And then there's also a piece by an Irish composer, Philip Hammond, which is his own arrangement for this ensemble of a piece he wrote for solo piano originally called The Lamentation of Owen O'Neill. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about all three pieces as arrangements for the ensemble in contrast to most of the other pieces we've heard, which were actually originally written for your instrumentation. For this album, we were talking earlier about what would we put on it repertoire-wise, and of course... Because of that challenge, we end up with three amazing arrangements. The vocalist that Michael did is really stunning because he uses the voices so well, flute and clarinet. It's kind of hard to do a vocalist with multiple voices, including piano. And I think he does a really great job weaving those voices together. And the lamentation is just stunning. I didn't know this piece. But Michael sure does. It's a traditional Irish work. And Michael, being originally from Ireland, thought that this part of the program, a part of the album, is his strong contribution musically to the family. We always say he's like our brother, you know, as well in this trio family. But he really puts his mark, I think, on the CD, not just with his beautiful, sensitive piano playing, but with his touching arrangements of the vocalese and the lark. Talk about beauty and singing and how he uses the the sound of the instruments to sing these lines. The flute, of course, could be considered one of the most beautiful, how should I say, Irish-sounding instruments. And it's just perfect for the subtlety of vibrato and voice and spin in the sound that you can imagine someone being in a small cafe or a small pub somewhere listening to a traditional Irish singer singing these beautiful and yet extremely sad melodies. So to have these three works as the arrangements I think is really beautiful and perfect for this album in particular because there's a lot of virtuosity on the album, a lot of technical display. But in the arrangements you find the spirit, the kind of sad yet gorgeous spirit of the instruments themselves, of the timbre, of the sound of the instruments together. So I think in these arrangements, you explore that connection, the connection to the heart, especially, and to the spirit. You've mentioned finding the right works for this album and how that spurred you to discover new repertoire, but I believe some of these pieces are pieces you actually were performing as an ensemble before this album project came along, and I assume these will continue in your performing repertoire as an ensemble uh, going forward. 
Yeah, exactly. We'd done a few recitals with a few of the pieces, and we had never put them all together. Uh, that's the thing, in their own program. And then we started touring, playing the repertoire that we were going to have all together. And we realized it's such a great combination of works. So challenging and yet really beautiful. And the audiences that we were performing for weren't familiar with these works either. But they also really appreciated them because, you know, you hear the same kind of stuff over and over again. If you go to concerts, you hear a lot of the same repertoire. It's like people are familiar with them. But when they discover, oh my gosh, I'm going to a flute clarinet and piano concert. I don't know what to expect. And then they hear all these new pieces that are really stunning. The conversation after the concerts was amazing because you saw how kind of shocked a lot of the audience members were that they loved everything on the program. And somehow they had preconceived notions about what to expect. But it's a discovery not just for the listeners and the audience, but also for the performers. And you learn to understand the pieces. And after you perform them a while, they change and they mold. And so to be able to put this down and have it on the recording is really special. Well, with that very beautiful and descriptive introduction, let's conclude the musical portion of this podcast with this Irish traditional song arranged by the pianist of the McGill-McHale trio, Michael McHale. It's called The Lark in the Clear Air.
The Lark in the Clear Air, performed for us by the McGill-McHale Trio from their album Portraits, works for flute, clarinet, and piano. Anthony, how has Chicago's music scene shaped you as a musician? Growing up as a young musician in Chicago was really exciting. My parents weren't musicians. They were visual artists and artistic. And so when they were introducing us to music at a young age, they didn't really know where to start. But what they soon discovered was that there is a very exciting, lively, unique community of musicians in Chicago and especially of young musicians, of bringing up young players through the many, many, many youth orchestras. And of course, with the Chicago Symphony there, it's such a huge treasure in this city. You felt like you were part of something much larger than yourself. And we grew up on the South Side, and we actually even had lots of other people in our peer group that were also playing music. So it didn't just start downtown or in the north side or the north suburbs, but it extended out to our neighborhoods. And so we felt a connection with special mentors. And I always talk about these mentors because they changed our lives. They taught us not just how to be great musicians, but also how to be great people. And my parents hooked us up with the right people, the right organizations, the right musical role models to be able to achieve greatness. And I never thought that I'd fall in love with music. I didn't know. I just started playing the clarinet when I was in fourth grade. And my brother started when he was seven years old. He started playing before I was three or something. So I grew up with music in the house. But to find that community that was so supportive and yet very competitive, (laughs) I won't kid you, but to find those people and to continue to have relationships with all of them, which we do, is something really special. Chicago's a big city, but in its music scene, it felt like a small town, but one that was good and for the most part really positive and just affected us in such a positive way that I'm not sure I could imagine myself growing up in a different city and having a similar experience. It's a very Chicago thing. And in addition to the Merritt School of Music, I believe you and Damari also both came up through the ranks of the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestras as well. Is that right? Yes. We both played the Chicago Youth Symphony, and that was just such an amazing musical experience because it was like a professional orchestra. We had great conductors, I think two or three different ones by the time I finished. Michael Morgan was my brother's first conductor, and then when I joined, when I was like way too young to join the orchestra, he was still the conductor. And talk about a role model. He was such a great, energetic musical conductor, And he also happened to be African-American. And so talk about inspiration for a young kid from the South Side. It was really something special. I went on my first international tour with the Chicago Youth Symphony, actually two international tours. So that was a huge deal just to leave the country and play music. This is awesome. No wonder I fell in love with music and I fell in love with the community of musicians as well. And I'll just put in a brief plug for our next recording plan on the label. You and your brother uh, were planning to do an album of duo concertos for flute and clarinet with the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra. We're planning to record that at the beginning of next summer for release in 2019, I guess that will be. Yeah, that's really exciting. Really excited about that. Well, Anthony, what's next for you as a musician, your principal clarinet with the New York Philharmonic? Where do you think you'll be in five or 10 years, sitting in the same chair and 
What sort of projects are up your sleeve? I always keep my options open and I always say I'm just very lucky to be able to do things that I love to do. So whether it's recording new projects with people I love or if it's playing in the orchestra, which I also love and continuing to do that and continuing my teaching, I'm doing a bit of work with music institutions similar to Merritt in the New York area. And so I'm really extending and trying to pass down all of the things I learned and all of the ways I could possibly help and use my career as it stands to help the next generation of musicians. So I'm doing a lot of that sort of work with great organizations in and around New York. And that's kind of the dream for me is just to continue playing great music, working on new awesome projects and trying to help the future generation and the next generation play music, be exposed to music, learn about music, get the right opportunities that they deserve, and explore all of those new possibilities. Well, speaking of awesome things, I have to ask, what was it like playing at Obama's first inaugural? That was unbelievable. Every time I talk about it and I talk about just being there, it's like it was somebody else that did it, like it was a dream. And it's so special. It's so deep inside my heart and who I am now. And just to see that happen and be there for that moment in history is something I'll never forget and something I'll cherish forever. And of course, you were playing alongside some pretty amazing musicians, including Itzhak Perlman and Yo-Yo Ma. And I believe it was Yo-Yo Ma who actually invited you into this. Yeah, I performed with Yo-Yo in Tokyo quite a few years before. And it was such an amazing experience. We did Messian's Quartet for the end of time. And I had such an amazing musical experience, but also a learning experience sitting next to him, experiencing what it was like to play with someone with such musical energy, so such a force that comes out of this instrument and out of him. And I just got a call out of the blue asking me to be a part of this thing with John Williams and Itzhak and Yo-Yo and Gabriela Montero. And it was like a life-changing event for sure. It was a real moment in history, which many people, including myself, will never forget. And lastly, Anthony, you've talked a bit about what the future holds for you. What about the trio? What sort of projects and touring is in the future? We're just going to keep going and I think continue to discover new music and play with the old stuff and do arrangements and do the things we're basically showing the world we can do now. I think it's really exciting for all of us because we all have our individual careers which are doing really great and we're very lucky. But it's also nice to be able to discover new things and discover this trio together. Like I said, Michael McHale is kind of like the third brother of the McGill uh, family. And it's just a really nice collaboration. If I can mention two things that are coming up very soon, you and the trio will be performing Portraits of Langston at the Benefit for Sadie Records, Soiree Sadie 2017, at the Spurtis Institute building at 610 South Michigan Avenue on Sunday, September 10th. People can find that event on the Sadie website by clicking the Support tab on our homepage, which is Sadie Records, C-E-D-I-L-L-E, records.org. And at that one, the narrator accompanying you guys will be baritone Eric Owens, reading the Langston Hughes poems. And there's also a release party in New York. Do you want to say a word about that? 
Yeah, so on September 13th, we'll have an awesome party in New York celebrating the release of the CD. It should be really great to celebrate with friends and family and public. So remember that date. That's September 13th, starting at 7 p.m. at Powell Flutes New York Showroom, 153 West 36th Street. It's open to the public, but seating is limited. Anthony, thanks very much for your time. It's been a delight to talk with you. Thank you.